Hello everyone and welcome to the Lisa Burke Show. I have an absolutely jam-packed studio, wonderful guests here today and we're going to have an hour of fun. I've got eight guests for you today. We will end by talking about Polo Club Luxembourg with Eric Lauro and Pablo Casero. But to begin with, we're going to talk all things jobs how to find jobs, how to become a job seeker in Luxembourg and talk about communities that help build relationships for the expat community wanting to find jobs part-time or full-time in Luxembourg. So from Adam, we've got Isabel Schlesser, who's the director of Adam, Ines Baer and Mario Della Schiava. I hope I pronounced that correctly, Mario. And then from IDCN, which is the International Dual Career Network and HEC, HEC Liege Luxembourg, we have uh, whoops, just by finding Pas- Pascal Pratiksha and Zera. So we're going to talk to them just after we talk to Adam. So Isabel Schlesser, you are the director of Adam. Ines Baer, you are head of the data department and Maria Della Schiava, leading the department that takes care of the job seekers with seven agencies throughout the country. Welcome to you all. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Isabel, I'm going to start with you as the director. For those who have come to Luxembourg not too long ago, what is ADAM? What do you do? So ADAM is uh, the National Employment Agency. So it's a public service under the authority of the Ministry for Labour. And what we are uh, actually doing is first trying to get transparency on the labour market. So we really showing what opportunities uh, are open uh, for job seekers and then of course also personalized services for uh, job seekers who want to register with us. Uh, continuous training opportunities, also financial support measures uh, if the con- conditions are filled in. So uh, a whole range of services and I would only like to encourage people really new in Luxembourg to come and register uh, because uh, very often if you come to a new country you do not really know how to start with your job search and there are I hope we can help. So is it open for anybody who comes to live in Luxembourg? Yes, uh, anybody who lives in Luxembourg legally uh, is allowed to register uh, with Adam, even if the person has not yet a working permit. So the only condition is really to uh, legally reside in, in Luxembourg. And so what are the general admission, admissions procedures? What do people have to do? They just turn up or they can log on online? They can look at you on LinkedIn? I know you've got a, a large presence in English on LinkedIn, for instance. Yes, uh, I think the easiest way is really to register online. Uh, so it's a 100% digital uh, procedure nowadays. Uh, but you can, of course, also call our our call centre or then come into one of our seven local agencies to, to get information and to start the registration process. And what does the unemployment market look like in Luxembourg? I mean, I think from the outside or even inside Luxembourg, people think, oh, Luxembourg's a rich country, it's doing very well. There isn't much unemployment. But what is the situation like, really? There isn't much unemployment, but unfortunately, there still is unemployment. So currently, we have an unemployment rate of 5%. Uh, so that's about uh, 15,000 people. So it's not nothing. Uh, half of these people are long-term unemployed um, in various qualifications, ages, conditions. Um, and uh, what really... What we really try to do is to activate job seekers as early as possible. So to avoid that unemployment lasts too long. Because the real problem is not becoming unemployed in current times. It's more or less normal to become unemployed in a career. But the problem is really when this unemployment lasts for too long. Because it can affect somebody's self-identity and self-esteem, I'm sure, as well. Exactly, exactly. And then you offer a lot of training courses and not so long ago we had the Digital Learning Hub here and they told us that they worked with you to really think about what 
skills are required? What jobs, and perhaps Inez, you know more about this because you are head of the data department, um, so perhaps they worked directly with you. I'm not sure if it was you directly they worked with, but I see a lot of shaking heads here, nodding heads here. So tell us about the situation of the labour market. When you're looking at what job opportunities are out there, what does it look like in Luxembourg? Yeah, Luxembourg is a very dynamic labor market. First of all, it's growing fast, faster than than most European countries and faster than the population. So we need talent to come to to Luxembourg, to work in Luxembourg. I'd say there are opportunities in all in all areas, uh, very high qualified jobs, uh, less qualified jobs. But what is quite particular when we look at the jobs that the Luxembourg labor market is looking for, we have uh, IT developers on the number one position out of all the, the jobs. That's not uh, very common uh, across uh, across countries. So Which is uh, why it was so important for the Digital Learning Hub to work with you to really target their training skills to what was required on the labor labor market. Yes, and we do offer more and more trainings really for I, junior IT developers, uh, specialists, IT support uh, agents. Um, but there are also opportunities not only in IT. Uh, we have a lot of opportunities in finance, accounting, uh construction sector as well. Uh, since Luxembourg is very uh, dynamic, there's a lot of construction activity. So that's also a booming uh, sector and the uh, hospitality, the restaurant industry is also recruiting uh, a lot of personnel. Now, one of the issues with Luxembourg for any of our listeners who are, well, from all sorts of different countries, the expat community, languages, a lot of the jobs in Luxembourg require three languages. Can you tell us what you have on your records, roughly, you know, when it comes to languages, what can somebody do and what languages are most required? And if what can somebody do if they don't have those languages? Um, yeah, um, I would even say a lot of jobs require four languages. So we always monitor the three uh, uh, official languages, Luxembourg is German, uh, French, but also English. Um, French is still the most uh, searched. It's searched in about 70% of job vacancies, but English already in almost 60%. So it's quite close uh, after French. And Luxembourg is German in about 25-30%. So a bit less uh, in demand, but still. But um, what about the combination? The of- combination, <laughs> yes. Um, Yes, so um, especially uh, if we have um, um, jobs in the the public sector, the social sector, the healthcare sector, these are typically sectors that require all four languages. Uh, In most of the uh, professional uh, services, IT jobs, it's usually a combination of French and English that is the most useful. Um, there are some sectors where there are opportunities with English only, uh, the fund industry, IT jobs, um, also um, professional service jobs like consultants, lawyers, um, auditors. But there's always an advantage to speaking French as well. It just increases the, the opportunities. And when it comes to languages, in fact, people who sign up with Adam can also get the opportunity to have language lessons at a reduced rate. Yes, they can (coughs) get vouchers uh, to take uh, language courses at a reduced rate. But even better, (laughs) uh, we have started a couple of years ago a partnership with the INL, so the National Language Language. Institute. And we organize now specific classes for job seekers to learn French, Luxembourgish and German. And in a very intensive course, which is much more how could I say, efficient. Uh, And if you are a job seeker, you have more time than if you work full time. And so these courses are organized during daytime, six hours a day. Wow. And so, of course, progression is is faster. Wow. Six hours a day. And and when you say reduced rate, what would be the cost of one course level? Do you happen to know? Um, yes, it depends, of course. Uh, I can't now say how much is it, it, it really is, but, it, but uh, of course, for the for the candidate, uh, it's normally uh, free of charge because the Adam will take uh, will, will will pay this uh, this course, and 
So that's that's of course it's uh, often the problems uh, if our advisors uh, see that uh, that the candidate uh, has problem with a language. That's the first aim we 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 want to do that uh, to encourage these people to make an, uh, a language course. Yeah, and it probably gives somebody self confidence as well if they get better in the languages required, and also helps to make friends. Yes, so it helps. All the way around for yes, a job seeker course. because uh, they gain confidence. It's important. It's important. Uh, it's important uh, for the for the labor market, of course, and also for uh, the social life uh, to speak uh, to speak one of the languages in in Luxembourg. Um, that's, that's, that's yeah, of course, and that's our first aim to uh, to look with the people what about the languages and also uh, work on the motivation for the people because uh, normally. I th- I will say nobody will uh, will uh, is glad to come to 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 the Adam because he knows something he has a problem and uh, we have to give the confidence to to the job seekers and work on their motivation. And Isabel, it's not just job seekers. I mean, when you have job seekers, you need employers. So in fact, in Luxembourg, it's a legal requirement to put any available job on the Adam register. Which doesn't always happen. However, you can you can shout out to employers now as well. Yes, thank you, Lisa, for this question. <laughs> <laughs> yes, uh, indeed, it's a legal requirement for Luxembourg-based companies to uh, publish all their job vacancies with Adam. And it's not only, I would say, a legal requirement, it's also a good practice that I would encourage every company to, to comply with. Uh, because simply, first, there are 15,000 candidates that are registered and perhaps there is the candidate that you are looking for. And even if this is not the case, we are also active on a European basis and more and more on an international basis to go and search for candidates outside Uh, our borders. So perhaps there we will find the right candidate for the company. And even if not, (laughs) there is still a big advantage to register the job vacancy because we are carrying out, or Ines is carrying out, uh, a lot of studies analyzing data. And if we do not have the data about a job vacancy, for us, there is no job vacancies. And our studies are Uh, we risk to be uh, not exhaustive. And so I really shout out to all the employers, please register job vacancies. It's very easy. It's done on my guichet uh, as a digital procedure or even by phone. If really it's not possible in another way, even by phone, it's possible. It's quick. Uh, it's not bureaucratic. <laughs> I can guarantee That's good to hear. And it's important. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, it's a couple of times that I've heard in this conversation that Luxembourg has an awful lot of requirements. It's a a growing economy. We can see that in the housing. We can see it in all sorts of different ways. It requires skills to be brought into the country from outside of the borders. So how do you advertise these jobs cross-border then? Um. Yeah, I can <laughs> I can say a word about this. We have launched a, a website called workinluxembourg.lu and there we publish uh, the, the job offers that we have <laughs> uh, for international candidates. And for the time being, we have nearly uh, 1,500 international candidates that have registered on this platform. Uh, so that are interested by the job offers that we have. Uh, we have about 4,000 job offers, I think, published on that website. And so this is one part of the what we call the talent attraction strategy of Luxembourg. It's only a small part. It's not the whole strategy, but it's an important part to start with. Uh, and so, uh, again, companies that register with us get also an access to these candidates. Mm-hmm. And Inez, then what are the jobs that are most sought after in Luxembourg? Mm. Um, what we are particularly interested in is knowing what are the jobs that are most in shortage. So yes. we just we don't just look at volumes, but also comparing the jobs to the candidates that we have on the local labor market and seeing the gap and then targeting our talent attraction and our training offer more to, to that gap. Um, so there where we have IT jobs, uh, again, um, we have uh, skilled uh, craft workers. So that could be electricians or tile layers in the construction sector, for example, um, also healthcare and social uh, workers. 
workers uh, have a high shortage and then the, the banking, the finance and professional services industry. But just thinking about the healthcare and social mm-hmm. services, they would require all of the language skills, I imagine. Um, it depends also on the um, on the, the area of um, like for elderly care, for example, it's more important to speak the languages. It's a more vulnerable population. So the languages are an important way to connect uh, to people uh, working as a nurse in a hospital, for example, or as a doctor. Um, it's a bit less important, but the French is usually uh, still the yeah, the most important. And Mario, tell us about the, the seven centres, agencies throughout the country where people can register and what happens at these centres? Yeah, we have, uh, actually we have uh, seven agencies, so uh, two in the north of, of, of Luxembourg, that means uh, Wils and Dikirsch, uh, one in centre, of course, Luxembourg, uh, then in the east of the country, uh, Wasserbillig, and three in the south of the country, so uh, Differdange, Stüdlange and uh, and Esch. Um, in this agency, so um, a job seeker will have an appointment with an with a personal advisor, and this personal advisor helps and uh, make makes assistance for this job seeker. For the aim is, of course, uh, for helping him to find a job. And there, are, of course, there are some possibilities uh, if he's close to the, uh, to the labor market. So normally it's very easy, but sometimes uh, uh, he also this person also must be uh, must have a training course, or, and then also we look together with the person of his professional uh, project to propose, to make proposition for training uh, uh, possibilities or for language uh, for, um, trainees. And uh, that's, that's the work of the, of the advisor. And normally a uh, job seeker has to, to come every month uh, uh, to, to the agency, to his, uh, to his uh, advisor. And so with the advisor, they'd build up a rapport and the advisor would learn about them as a person, where they've come from and help them with both training and job opportunities. And when people come here to you, uh, I'm thinking particularly of the expat market. Again, actually, Isabel, first of all, on the expat market, I believe there's new legislation coming in, hopefully not yet signed, sealed and dealed, but about third country spouses. Yes, after a long preparation period, <laughs> uh, finally there will be a, a new law uh, coming up. It has not yet been voted by Parliament, but it has been sent into the procedure. So, but it's will like be voted. It will be voted on uh, positively, I- hopefully. I suppose, <laughs> hope so. <laughs> and the idea is really to give free access to the labour market to third country uh, spouses. So uh, spouses of the expats having a job in Luxembourg. Uh, for the time being, the spouse needs an authorization before uh, she or he can work and this will disappear. So it will be free access to the labour market. Which is mutually beneficial Win-win for both sides of the market, one would hope. Um, Just to be very clear, what does it mean by third country? Third country means uh, all countries not being part of the EU. So also Great Britain, (laughs) for the time being. (laughs) Uh, Yes, that's uh, because EU uh, nationals can uh, work freely in every European country. That's why we do not really talk make a difference between a Luxemburger or another EU citizen. But when it comes to uh, non-EU people, we speak about third country. It's not very nice word. uh, No. Actually, but yeah. But hopefully this (laughs) will help to to make it much more available and just open up the the job market to other people who have not been able to work so far. Um, Also, I wanted to talk a little bit about the digitalskills.lu website that was set up recently by the Prime Minister in one of his other roles, (laughs) Uh, because he has various ministerial roles as well as being Prime Minister. Uh, Ines, maybe you can tell us a little bit about this platform and Mm -hmm. how it resonates with that that shortage of trained digital IT skilled professionals in Luxembourg. Mm. 
Uh, yeah, we have um, more and more actors uh, in Luxembourg that have initiatives around digital skills, which is good because everyone recognizes the, the importance of this issue, but it can get a bit uh, overwhelming and confusing at times. So the, the idea of the digital skills.lu platform is really to have a one-stop shop for people to find uh, training opportunities around digital skills, uh, initiatives, financial incentives. And so Adam is just one of the, the actors collaborating on, with that platform. And given that you've been like head down deep in the research of the statistics, has anything surprised you about your work in the data? Anything that you didn't expect to find there? Um, well, if we if we look at, uh, at skills, um, I, that's not really surprising, but we see... Uh, a general increase in demand for all all skills. So it shows that the labor market is becoming more demanding, uh, coming with the yeah with, with the trends, the evolutions uh, uh, in the economy and in the jobs. Um, but the skills that are growing the fastest are really more the personal, the transversal skills, even more so than the the digital skills. And we always um, look at digital transformation and digital skills in a in a broader way. So for a digital transformation, you also also need to be able to collaborate with people, to implement change, to uh, ad be flexible, to adapt to change, to solve problems. And so these are really the skills that we see in the data in our job vacancies that are growing the strongest. Uh, when you say that, do you mean that within the job uh, description, it will have a paragraph on the requirement to be a good team player or something like this. Exactly. So uh, we have used uh, text mining uh, uh, models to extract information from those descriptions because we do have about 40,000 uh, job postings, even 50,000 last year in a, in a year. So there's a lot of information in these texts, in these descriptions, and it's the first time that we are actually using this unstructured data now. And then another question I have really is, who is on your database? The people who come seeking jobs, how many of them are Luxembourgish? How many of them are expats? One third of them are Luxembourgers. One third of them are Portuguese nationals. And the other third are all the West mixed. Right. Okay. The entire world. That, 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 that is very interesting. <laughs> uh, I do not have exactly how many nationalities and how many not EU, um, but that's the general. So 30% Luxembourgers, 30% Portuguese and 30% Old West. And this has not changed so much uh, during the last years. Mm -hmm. It has really remained stable. Yeah. And the other question I have, sorry, Ines, you had a comment. Yeah. Maybe not in our data, but if we look at immigration in general to Luxembourg, we have about 40% of immigration to Luxembourg coming from non-EU countries. So that's almost half uh, of yeah, residents moving to, to Luxembourg coming uh, from outside the EU. And this is also the population that is by far growing the fastest, growing stronger than Luxembourgish uh, nationals, of course, but also stronger than cross-border workers in the in the labor force. Yeah, well, I mean, one thing that always comes up, you've mentioned again with the data, you're seeing this burgeoning economy, this need, this drive for more jobs and people coming to Luxembourg. And that's why we have this housing crisis, the cost of living. When you're dealing with the international applicants, you must be having conversations about the cost of living in Luxembourg and how they find housing, for example. How do you deal with that? Uh, that's, a, that's, of course, a big problem. Yes, that's, uh, you are right. Um, of course, we have a higher salary in, in Luxembourg, but also we must say also the people, uh, the cost of living. And uh, if I speak, uh, if I say cost of living, uh, that's, uh, that means renting and, and, uh, and uh, the cost of the houses. And uh, that's, of course, a bigger problem for, uh, for, for the people coming, coming to Luxembourg. That's really... Um, a problem, and uh, we try also to to tell to tell the people this this this, this problem that they know it, and also for for looking for houses. Uh, okay, we give them the possibilities. In the possibilities we have, we give them uh, 
the, 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 yeah, the internet addresses where they can look or, or, or some, uh, some possibilities where they can uh, uh, ch choose for, for, for the houses and for rentings. But uh, that's, that's a main problem for Luxembourg, the cost, uh, these costs. Mm -hmm. yes. We haven't figured that one out yet. And of course, it affects cross-border workers as well. If I may just add, this is absolutely true. But I all, always like to add that if we compare Luxembourg to other big financial capitals, it's the same voices. Well, I think in other capitals, there is a variety of options. That's the difference. Um, you know, I think that you, you can get obviously the uber rich places to live, but you get the you there are cheaper places to be found as well. Perhaps, but if you look at Paris or London... I'm thinking uh, particularly of London. Which yeah, is, per perhaps, but I think it's... Uh, I, I'm not uh, saying there's no problem. Of course, it's a huge, <laughs> huge problem for the whole population and especially for people coming in. But I, I think what you say also in Luxembourg, now we start to have sharing of apartments and websites that try to match people to do this sharing. And so we'll come... I yeah. think uh, to the situation like there is also in other big cities. Yeah. 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 Also, you must inform also the people that you far you go away from uh, and uh, from Luxembourg city. Traffic. It will be no traffic <laughs> is another problem, but it will get cheaper, of course. Uh, yeah, but then you have to deal with the traffic. Uh, yeah, because the, there isn't the train lines exactly set up. Anyway, we'll we'll park that issue. The other question before um, I, I move on really uh, to you and is. Apart from where the job seekers are coming from, do you have age ranges of the job seekers? Um, yes, um, we have about, um, I think I even have the, uh, the figures, we have 40% that are over 45. Um, so that's a big population and that's also the major share of the long-term uh, unemployed. And we have about 25-30% that are young job seekers, so under the age of 30. Um, yeah. Um, so there's not a big uh, trend that we see, um, but the population over 45 has been increasing slightly if we if we look at a, a longer time period. Which is terribly sad because hopefully we're living longer, healthier lives to some degree. And that's a huge population there of very experienced, wise people who could be of great benefit. To the job market. So it was particularly for that reason I asked, actually, I wondered if there was some ageism in the job market. Would you say there is? Uh, we see that it becomes more difficult, uh, even starting from the age of 45, to convince employers uh, to, to, to hire uh, a job seeker. And that also explains why the, the risk of becoming long-term unemployed is higher um, with, a, with a higher age. But we also have financial measures to incentivize employers to, to hire job seekers over the age of 45. So there can be a financial compensation um, in that case. Can you tell us what that Maybe means? Mario, can tell Mario? Us. Well, I, I, this is the first time I'm hearing about this. What is this? Yeah, so that's, um, for example, that uh, that's a reimbursement of uh, the social security of the part of, uh, of one part of the social security. Uh, that's one. Uh, the other one is also um, if someone works uh, in an, uh, in a job but had an, a certain salary, so there's also a possibility to give a compensation if uh, he earns less than before. But it seems these measures haven't really been working if the figures haven't m moved much. Yes, but uh, it's absolutely true. These figures haven't moved and it's our major problem, the yeah. unemployment of the not-so-young population, which is not old. Not old. It's not really <laughs> old. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think it's not only about money. Yeah. Because if it was only about money this compensation scheme would do a lot. Yeah. Uh, so it's also about the fact that there are still employers thinking that when you are more experienced, you are less flexible, you are less uh, perhaps IT, uh, yeah, good at yeah. IT, which is not always the case. We have also young people that are not flexible and perhaps not so good in all kinds of IT stuff. Yeah. So it, it's really, I think, about explaining what we 
can also see or we can hope for is that as there are so many jobs that experience shortage situations, perhaps employers open up a little bit and give the opportunity to somebody who's not so young anymore to show that he is still flexible, that he can still learn, he or she can still yeah. learn quickly and adapt to new situations. That's what I would hope for, uh, of course. Well... On that note, thank you all so much. We'll make sure everybody listening signs up to Adam if they are looking for a job and we will try to change that ageism in the job market, which is really infuriating. Thank you. And to thank all employers you. as well, make sure you sign up with Adam so that the the database is transparent and we can see what's out there and more people can apply. And coming up after this short break, we're going to talk all about IDCN and ATC Liège-Luxembourg. Thank you. Thank you. The Lisa Burke Show. Now, in front of me, I have Pascal Wiskur-Konter. I have to my left, um, uh, Pratiksha. I always uh, pause at your name because it's one of those long ones. Pratiksha Misra. And to my right, I have Zera. Another. Let me have a go at this. Guzukara. I, I see all of these these consonants and my, my brain slightly pauses. It's not such a fluid transfer. Pascal, I'm going to turn to you first of all. Uh, you are a serial entrepreneur, originally from Luxembourg, but spent an awful lot of time, 20 years abroad, notably in the USA. And in fact, you, you did a very interesting thing. You started off in finance, but then you shift to become an entrepreneur and launched the promotion of Luxembourg Luxembourg Maritime Registry of Mega Yachts. Correct. Noting that Luxembourg doesn't have a coast. Anyway, <laughs> and you did many other things based in California, and then you moved to New York, and then you came back here during COVID. Absolutely. I got stuck here because of COVID. Yeah. <laughs> and we're I just very came back to get a new visa, apply for the green card, and then here I am. And we're very happy. So you've come back to Luxembourg as a Luxembourger, yes. but with American uh, kind of like career inside you and, and the drive. And now you're you're working with HEC Liège and you're helping there. You're teaching the course of strategic communication on the MBA program. Correct. Yes. And then to my left, I've got Pratiksha Mizra, who's the recruiting manager at HEC Liège. Uh, you have a higher education recruitment background, a specialist, a decade of experience in top management schools in Asia and Luxembourg. And I love the fact that you've got a, a biotech a master's degree, but also a diploma in customer behaviour. That intrigued me. I'm sure that's very, very useful to know about customer behaviour. Yeah, I mean, uh, it, it's a great idea to think of your customer first that, you know, and then design anything what you have to launch. And that idea of keeping the customer customer first really uh, I think it tops it all and is ahead of uh, the market every time and with that aspect when you design something it really brings your contribution to the first line so that's uh, what I believe. It makes perfect sense and then Zera you're originally from Turkey you worked lived in beautiful Istanbul for 20 years and, and then you've, you've got loads of interest as well very interested in gender studies DIE and so supporting young adolescents as they start off on their career path. And you're coming here as a trailing spouse, as did I as well, because your husband got a job with Ferrero and you have a young daughter and you also write children's books. So we have a whole range of skills here. And you and Pratiksha work at the IDCN, which is the International Dual Career Network. So we've got a couple of things to talk about here. But first of all, I'm going to focus on HEC Liège Luxembourg. So for those who don't know what it is, I mean, a lot of people in Luxembourg will know, but maybe internationally they may not know. What is this? Yes, so I should say Liège uh, is uh, found an opportunity here with another B-School exiting last year from the Luxembourgish market. So, of course, we are all aware of the Achesse brand. So Achesse Liège is one of the top B-Schools uh, in Liège. We should say business schools. Yes, business schools. No, no acronyms here. <laughs> 
business schools and they collaborated with Chamber of Commerce and there we were born. So Ashose Liège Luxembourg, we started operations last year in October and now we are functioning with uh, and have launched our MBA programs. We also have high impact certificates in private equity, innovation and fintech certificates. So the idea is to really offer high quality uh, business education, higher education to Luxembourg. And the whole mission is about making Luxembourg more of a study destination as it is known as more of a business destination because business cannot thrive without continuous learning. And uh, for anybody thinking about this MBA, how much does it cost? Oh, well, um, uh, it's a very high quality program. <laughs> Here comes the sales pitch. <laughs> I like yes, uh, it's very practically modulated. So yes, for an MBA with internship program, it is 39,000 euros. And with an MBA with inter- without internship, it's 29,000 euros. We guarantee finding the candidates uh, a full-time paid internship in companies at Luxembourg. And for people who are already working uh, at corporates here or they are entrepreneurs or consult- individual consultants, we offer an experience to them because all our classes also happen outside work hours in the evening at Chamber of Commerce. And I imagine some people, uh, their companies pay for the MBA. Absolutely. So Pascal, you uh, ended up back here, not intending to be back here. It must have been quite a surprise. It was very, very strange, yes. And uh, um, I really thought we would never come back to such an extent that we have two kids. We didn't even teach them Luxembourgish. And we were becoming Americans, literally. And um, yes, we came back early 2020. And we had to apply for a new visa. It took some time. We had to go back through the process. And then the lockdown came. Consular offices closed and we were here. And for several months, we thought we'll go back. Maybe not. We had two kids. So our son was studying at college over there. So he stayed because he had his own visa. We didn't see him for two and a half years because he was stuck over there. We were here. And his sister, our daughter, she came with us. And she was like uh, junior year over there for high school, preparing for, for university, which is a bit different there. You do it a year before the end and then she was here and all of a sudden she doesn't speak Luxembourg no German with school maybe an IB but then he has to go back she had to lose a year so yeah it was it was a bit it was a bit tough and we had to find back all our our marks because we had been away for so much time and, and literally really away so today I label myself being really a Luxembourg I mean I, I grew up in Bel Air just nearby um, and I, I know lots of people that are today really people that you see everywhere that were with me at schools or Boy Scouts or so on and I'm the one who was away. And, and when I came back, I literally felt like an expat. Before leaving, I could understand the difference between a Luxembourger and someone who was a frontalier, as they used to more call it back then, because it was more the French, the Germans and the, the, the Belgium. And, and when I came back, I, I felt what it meant because it, the whole experience got like, augmented by what I just described, and also for nine months you wouldn't see no one because you were stuck. And so I thought coming back from New York, you know, used to networking and, and, and I mean, people say I talk a lot, so it was easy <laughs> to just get on. And all of a sudden, yeah, there's no one to talk to. And even your friends, the people that you had known before, it was very, very um, difficult, basically. And, and, and then I, I realized this is, this is really tough because it's not just the language. It's important, of course, at work, but it's the culture. It's understanding how the s- system functions. And so, uh, long story short, because I happen to be an HSC Liège alumni, we got in touch with uh, HSC and then they said, would you want to uh, take care of the communication course? And I said, yes, but uh, I would want to write my own course my own way. And they graciously accepted that. And as I wrote it, I put a lot of those things that I had learned abroad, but also all these aspects inside of a company around corporate culture, how that is driving um, internal communication and external communication. Everyone thinks of external communication more obviously because that's business development, but internal communication is literally the talent retention because mm-hmm. talent attraction is very important, but what about the talent retention? And if you have a well-built corporate culture that is aligned in terms of what vision it is, what mission, and it goes down to the value proposition, then you can literally much more transpire who you really are, what the corporation is all about, and attract those people, and they will stay. And I realized writing this course that I was actually writing about sustainability, but much more the S and the G, 
a lot of people have a very natural reflex to go for the E and said, this is my mission. And as part of that mission, because I mean, if I'm teaching people that you need to be purpose-driven, then I should start. And that's basically also what I've been doing when I was in the US. And just to say, well, here is something really important. I happen to be someone who is a true Luxemburger, who grew up here, who knows the system, and then was away for 20 years and came back as a true expat, literally experiencing what it was. So now my mission, that's how we made this uh, uh, conference also with IDCN, was to say, well, basically, I can try to explain to Luxembourgers a bit better how it is to be an expat, because if you haven't experienced it, I mean, you may have been somewhere abroad, but it's not the same when you're back in your own place. You will always think that your own place, it's not like this. If you go for work to New York, you'll experience a number of things and you'll come back to Luxembourg and say, we are not like that. But the people coming from abroad have exactly the same mm. experience because it's a cultural thing. It's not something that would be better or not, not as good. It's just a cultural aspect. And so, um, so I've really also focused on that one. Plus then on the other side, I thought, perhaps I also need to try to explain to the experts where the Luxembourgers are coming from because it's not that they mean harm or anything bad. It's just... As a nation, and that's how I tried to explain this, was to say you have to just kind of put it into perspective where we're coming from. It's been a long time coming to become a nation. So there's a number of things that are being explainable um, by this. And so I try to open up both um, sides, if I can, so, so, that, so that they reach out a bit more one to the other. Because you could really literally say if you're asking a Luxemburger how he describes Luxembourg, you'll, you'll get one picture very clear. You ask the same question to an expat and it's a different picture. They do not see the same reality when they're looking at the same thing. So I'm trying to hopefully bring that a bit closer together so that they start to put themselves into the other side's shoes. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. And I can see why you're a communications expert. You just put the on button and you go. Don't you? <laughs> you're a perfect okay. lecturer. Zara, I want to turn to you to tell us, tell our listeners, what is IDCN, this International Dual Career Network? So IDCN is a global uh, non-profit association who provides uh, networking, uh, professional networking platform for the dual career partners, uh, which we have most of them in Luxembourg because uh, the people are coming abroad to work as an expat due to the huge demand of uh, the labor market. And then their uh, partners, spouses are uh, moving with them, uh, obviously. And uh, the partners who are looking for uh, job opportunities in Luxembourg are uh, being uh, together within the umbrella of IDCN uh, and they are having networking events, they are having professional development uh, opportunities, um, na- um, activities, as I say, as I may say, in Luxembourg. So we uh, are a global or association which is available in 14 uh, locations in the globe and in Luxembourg uh, we are uh, built in uh, 2011 and since then we have more closely 500 members from 68 different nationalities and the half of them are uh, having master's degrees so there's a huge data with a talent pool, talent pool. yes uh, we are providing this talent pool to our uh, corporate members who are registered with IDCN and we are supporting their supposes um, for their adaptation and their uh, job seeks. And you have some terrific uh, partners actually as well and I know that you and Pratiksha uh, work with IDCN. You know it's funny for me because I was a trailing spouse, that's why I'm in Luxembourg and um, Another thing that really hits me is I imagine most of the trading spouses, I know it changes, but it's still mostly women. And they're That's often right. very highly qualified women, as you've just mentioned, with all of the degrees, etc. Uh, often they have young children at the time because that's a time when people do, tra- they travel less when the children are older, unless you get stuck with COVID. <laughs> um, and uh, and it can be a very lonely experience, as, as you've also described, yes. Pascal, in a, in a different way. And so to have these networks to integrate is very, very important. But another thing that crosses my mind is what Isabel said is that a lot of these uh, partners will be perhaps maybe mid 40s upwards who knows but because you know professional people <laughs> you become professional as you as you gain age <laughs> and um, and then you hit this kind of block where people don't want to employ you so it's it's very tricky so tell us about it a bit more and you know what what links you make and how the companies receive these 
well, the dual careers, the the other person, the spouse. Yes, it's an interesting aspect to look at uh, when we have uh, such profiles. It's tricky a bit, but at the same time, those people are very motivated. So the organizations also look at them as someone who's really very dynamic and enthusiastic to really contribute. Because if it's an, I'll take a classic example of a returner, someone who has been, uh, a woman who has taken a career break, say 10 years or a a paternity break, for three years or four years, and typically also undergone a relocation to a new country. When they arrive, they typically feel that, okay, you know what, I've been having a fantabulous career in my country, and now I want to really make a difference here in Luxembourg. So uh, the idea that they also look is that they want to upskill themselves. Okay, they had a gap, so they're very enthusiastic to really reach and return to the career, and they want to upskill themselves and develop up their career a bit but also from the employer's side they also look them through the returnship programs they say okay you know if we really train you into certain skills you're really versatile and that's where we come into picture that you know we try to bridge that gap of providing a versatile talent and then which is really like a plug and play yeah, it's, it's just a win-win. It, it helps everywhere around. And so for you and, and all of the work that I read about in your bio, has it been helpful to you? Um, when I joined IDCN, I was um, I, I thought that I was giving myself a bit of a break because I moved here uh, without the job. It, it was my first move without the job to a different country. Without a job, but uh, moving country with a young child. And yes. that, that's not no job. Yes, I was a full-time, I was going to say that I was a full-time mom and uh, I I have given, decided to give myself like a bit of a time, like six months, four months, I I don't know, however I I would feel. And then after uh, after four months, I woke up in one morning, everything was settled in terms of family and I said like, what now? Am I a full-time mom? Is it my only title? Because I like left behind 20 years of experience uh, in different corporations. And then I was panicked. And this is the most common uh, feeling when you move without the job and following your family with your partner. And then this time I discovered IDCN because Ferreira was a corporate member of IDCN. And I applied and there was the question, do you want to volunteer? I literally jumped on this (laughs) question. I said, yes. And um, (laughs) finally, I ended up uh, being the communications leader for IDCN Luxembourg in the beginning of last May. I was uh, appointed as the partner president. So the thing with the partner is that everyone is coming with the same purpose with the same dreams, I would say. Luxembourg is great, big, rich. But when we come here, we literally bumped into the fact that there are a couple of challenges as well. It's a great country with lots of opportunities, but there are so many buts. Like you have to have the work permits, you have to have the language skills, and there are certain uh, industries that you have to, that you're more favorable of. So these were the, challenges that we have. Then after becoming an IDCM volunteer, I I, I sort out that there are lots of uh, educational and developmental opportunities as well for you to have uh, additional um, educations or additional career uh, opportunities. So career shifts, being uh, individual entrepreneurs or if you're lucky to find something that you can proceed with with your uh, previous background. So we try to help the people like me like the other uh, expatriates uh, to find this aim, to figure out what they want and to show them what they need to proceed this uh, dream. It's wonderful. And you give them a network of friends, uh, common ground and uh, yeah, Pascal. I would say also from a Luxembourg point of view, it is really important to help these people settle in and feel really welcome and feel home eventually because there's also too many stories of people that eventually leave again because they didn't find the ground so they stay here for work until perhaps one day they can jump somewhere else or i happen also to work a lot with startups that i assist as as a mentor and you will see when they start to really take off they move also or they keep something here but the big part is somewhere else 
we want we would prefer to have them all here and we would prefer to build this ecosystem here and and this whole commu- sense of communities where people can reach out to each other and work more together and live together and feel really happy being here and i think it it would be great for our economy not just for the businesses but as a whole and not only mean i economy but also the, the as a as a society societally yeah. this would be really important that we can enrich in ourselves through these new inputs that we have well it really echoes what you were saying about the internal communication within a company this is almost internal communication within a country that's exactly it that's the same system it works yeah. the same way Well, thank you all so much. Uh, After this little break, we're going to turn to something completely different and uh, stay tuned to find out what it is. The Lisa Burke Show. Well, now, if you haven't got any plans for the 7th, 8th and 9th of July... Stay with us because we have plans coming to you. In front of me, I have Eric Lauro and Pablo Casero, who are from the Polo Club Luxembourg. Now, Pablo, you're originally from Argentina, professional polo player. I've been looking at the uh, the various photos of you and your son, I believe, on a on a tiny little, well, probably not that <coughs> tiny, actually, horse. So yeah, another one up coming up behind you. Uh, and uh, Eric, you are a late joiner to the polo world, but... N- Nonetheless, you are a member of Polo Club and you are the patron of the club, in fact. When I began to play polo, the the club was very small and it needed some means. So I brought the means necessary to develop it and to build um, the National Polo School. Like that, we have many talents who are capable to play on different polo fields in Europe. Since five years, Pablo and his team all from the um, from Argentine, they did an amazing work. And uh, you probably brought it because you are, apart from Polo, director of private equity company and real estate as well, is is how you uh, position yourself here in Luxembourg. But in fact, it was your daughter who brought you into the Polo world. My daughter, when she was nine, was already an excellent rider and she wanted to test Polo and she told me one day to come with her. And I said, okay, I will drive you. She said, no, you will not drive me. You will come to ride with me. And so I began to ride and to play polo when I was 60. So it was a big challenge to begin like that. But finally, I succeeded a little bit because in the past I was, I have practiced a lot of sports. So now I play slow, but I play with uh, my daughter. I play with my partner. I play with my friend the young and the oldest one and I play slow but I play. But this is amazing I mean my goodness to start polo at um, an age beyond 40 when the body doesn't <laughs> work quite in the same way but maybe maybe yours does I don't know <laughs> it's, it's impressive because I mean people think of horses they think of polo they think of fast I mean I can see the equipment you've brought into the studio they think of falls uh, you've been doing it since you were young. I'm quite sure you grew up in Argentina, where it's like, you know, football over there, I suppose. So tell us about your background in polo. Well, I started when I was around 12 years old, 11, 12, I don't remember. Um, first generation of polo. Uh, my family, is, they they ride horses, but not not in polo. But so I'm, I started as a first generation. So we started to breed horses and train horses and sell horses and buy horses and sell horses, buy horses, sell horses. And when I was 18, I finished school. And my dad told me, what do you want to do? Do you want to study in university or you want to continue playing with polo, uh, working with polo? And I say, I want to, to play polo and to, to do this as a living. So I'm 36 years old. And so since I was 18, I left Argentina. So only six months a, a year, I left to the UK first. I went to England and then I started to work six months in Europe, six months in Argentina, six months in Europe, six months in Argentina, making a living since already a lot. <laughs> With polo? 19 years, yes. Always in polo? Always in polo, always. And uh, so tell us about the the game. Why is it such an exciting game? Well, as I was listening the conversation before, how important is the uh, human relationships and how important it is to be connected. Uh, here you create a connection with the horse and you don't only have one horse, you have four horses at least to play. 
And then there is a team sport. It's not like jumping or dressage where you have your own horse and you jump by yourself and you go against the time or against the obstacle. Here you have a team sport where you play it with other players on your team and, and other opponents that at the end of the day, you spend some time with friends, you have a beer after you finish, you talk about horses <laughs> and you go back to the stables and everything is more, it's, it's very easy going, you know, Polo, people think that it's very like, like chic and, and everything here. We try to make it very easy going to share some moments with the people, with the horses, yeah, and create something something nice. I love that description when you're saying that people are, are lonely and about teams and everything. You've always got your horse or four horses. You can go and talk to the horse. <laughs> <laughs> talk to the, of course. You know, when I have, the best time of my day is when I sit in front of the horses take, taking my mate. I don't know if you saw the mate. Yeah. It's my yeah, drink. Yeah. So I, I sit in front of the horses to think about what am I going to do in the next day or the next week how to planify I, with horses around everything changes i can sit in a parking i can go to park the mall to sit but i prefer to go to the stable sit there be surrounded with horses and then think well they are therapeutic they're used as yes, a form of therapy of i have my two children the one is four and one is one year old and they're both riding the both one year old yeah i put him with me on the horse oh my god he gets crazy about horses and the <laughs> other five-year-old he rides by himself a full, full gallop. Bloody. Wow. Eh, wow. You have to take the fear out. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Well, my God. Yeah. I, I'm not surprised, actually, given you as a father. <laughs> Tell us what's coming up. 7th, 8th, 9th of July. Um, the um, 7th, 8th and 9th of July, it will be the 10th anniversary of the Luxembourg Polo International Tournament. So this is very special. The 10th anniversary. Have you got big it's celebrations big planned? It's a big, big tournament. We, we will welcome six international teams playing for six nations. We have um, very good players coming. In each team, you will have a minimum one Argentine professional player. We have also Yasalvo, the best, uh, one of the best polo players in the world, in, in ladies. And um, it's uh, three days of polo, good polo with good people. And uh, three days of fiesta also. Yes, and, uh, I, I've been. I, I know, and you've got the. Um, I, actually, when I was reading about you, in fact, uh, Pablo, um, it says uh, on the website that you embody la buena onda. Eh. That's why. <laughs> good, <laughs> good, good vibes. Good vibes. Good vibes. Chill and everything. Yes, and, yes, yes. and the other thing I noted is that you're going to have an Argentinian asado. Ah, Pablo is the best yes. asado that, of the world. The, this time, this time I will be playing. I will be very busy. You'll be barbecuing. So I, will I will not be cooking. Otherwise, I promise you, I we will have be to. Cooking. You have to tell people what an asado is. An asado is a, the is the way we cook the meat. You know, it's a barbecue, but the way we cook it, I don't know, has something special. Yeah, of course, we have meat because from Argentina. <laughs> But I don't know, the buena onda, the good vibes, they go in the, in the meat and we cook it and the people, they taste it and it's different. And we only, what special sauce do you put in the meat? Nothing. We just put salt. And then we cook it for a long time. Some people, they like it uh, rare or yeah. well cooked. There is a big discussion there, but that is up to the, up to the people who comes to get the meat. So we have an asado, very important. That will be on Saturday night, an asado at barbecue. Yeah made by Argentinians. So we have of a lot of Argentinians coming, uh, like a real gaucho Argentinian, yeah, with a big knife. And so you better <laughs> say, it's a, the meat tastes good, otherwise... Your head's chopped off yes. on the barbecue. <laughs> um, and who can come? Can anybody come? Is this open for anybody? Yes, the ticket is very low. Each year we are used to defend a cause. Last year we have defended and raising funds for um, Ukraine to help to finance ambulances. And this year, we have decided to support uh, Rosa to defend and promote the LGBTIQ cause, uh, rights. So everybody can come. The ticket is only 25. You can book it on uh, uh, poloclubluxembourg.com. It's easy to do. And uh, a part of the profit will be given to, to Rosa. Well, it sounds and, uh, like everybody will want to come on the Saturday night, but you've got things going on on the Friday night as well. No, no, but I would like to have, on Friday night, we have an amazing uh, polo gala dinner, pink and white gala dinner this year. We will have um, also um, an amazing singer, Leona Winter, 
And, um, this, and will, this will be in Coma La Maison. In Coma La Maison, absolutely. On Saturday night, we have a, a big disco on the, on the field. We are used to welcome 800, 600, 900 people, depending on the weather, but I cross my fingers that we will have a big sun and a very nice night with stars. We have also a concert with Leonardo Winter and many artists. So the, the weekend is 20, six teams, 30 players, 100 horses, dinner, gala dinner, asado, music, show. And La uh, Buena also, Onda. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Astro, vintage cars, equestrian oh. show. And uh, during three days, we don't sleep. I, I can imagine. <laughs> and and the, the good thing about the weekend is that we start on Friday and we continue to on to until Sunday. We have polo all the, th the three days. Yeah. So people can come for lunch and they will watch polo. People, people can come for around 4.30, 5 in the afternoon and they will still have a polo match. And the polo players, you know... We all stay there. I know. I'm thinking about the polo on Sunday. Is there, Does it get better or worse after like the two nights of parties? No, no, it, will be, it will be better because we have <laughs> yes. some we adrenaline have some, in our... We have, yes, we have special drugs for them. <laughs> well... So polo no, is a drug, you know? No, and on so Sunday... When you awake in the morning, even you sleep... You think of the shortly. horses and you go down to the stables and talk to your best friends. Yes. Yeah. No, they come to talk to us in the party, <laughs> the, the, the horses. And on Sunday is the final day and there you have the final games of course which is the uh, most excited uh, exciting games well we're going to put so links it, to it will be like a war okay a war with two nights of no sleep and lots of uh, food and uh, asado and uh, <laughs> various other things thank you so much I'm going to put links to all of this and to all of our listeners sign up to Adam whether you're uh, somebody looking for a job uh, or you have a job go to this wonderful polo festival sign up for your MBA with HEC Liège uh, Luxembourg and also if you are an expat looking for some community to involve yourself with look at IDCN thank you all so much for listening mm -hmm.